The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and do you know where your stock buyers are? Markets rocked again Thursday as bids dry up and buyers vanish. We're going to find out why. President Biden set to convene with allies after warning of a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine within days. We are live on the ground in Kiev. America targeting two of China's biggest e-commerce companies over counterfeiting claims. Shake shook. Headwinds taking a bite out of Shake Shack's earnings. And a big Wall Street name making a big-time insider buy this week. That and your exclusive five-stock names all over the next 60 minutes right here on Worldwide Exchange on this Friday, February 18th. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. TGIF. Let us get right now to your money, and it is looking a lot better right now than it did yesterday. Futures, they're higher. They're not soaring, but hey, they're in the green. They're all a bit higher across the board. Dow futures up 145. Many stocks got rocked on Thursday. Markets down again. And here's something kind of, dare we say, random but interesting. The S&P 500 has now dropped every Thursday this year. Why? Who knows? But it has. Remember, markets are closed on Monday for President's Day Holloway. It's a three-day weekend, by the way. So we could see some selling ahead of that weekend. People may not want to hold positions on a three-day weekend with so much uncertainty around that Russia-Ukraine situation. Either way, we're going to find out. Let's check the so-called fear gauge, the VIX. On the move higher, but now down a bit. It is just under 27, but up from a few days ago. And one big thing to watch today is what we have talked a lot about on this show over the last year and a half. And that is the idea of market structure and options. And today is a huge day for options expiration. Goldman Sachs estimating more than $2 trillion, with a T, dollars in notional value of options will expire today with nearly a trillion of that in linked to S&P 500 contracts. Wow, most of that is near the close, so just keep an eye. It could be a very volatile day today. In the energy world, oil and natural gas are actually both down a bit just now, as we have said, many in the oil and gas world, maybe not as convinced as others that some kind of Ukraine invasion may be imminent. We're seeing oil, natural gas all falling across the board here. Oil just over 90 bucks a barrel. All right, let's go now around the world. It was a mixed session to close out the week in Asia. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index leading the losses down nearly 2%. Let's take a look at the early trade in Europe, and that is a mixed trade. You've got France and the UK slightly higher, while the German market, actually now the German market, I stand corrected, is up literally, <laughs> what is that, four one hundredths of 1%, but hey, it is in the green. All right, now to the story that has much of the world on edge. President Biden set to speak with NATO allies today about Russia's troop buildup along the Ukrainian border. This after warning again on Thursday that a Russian attack on Ukraine could become 
or could begin rather, in the coming days. In the meantime, Vice President Harris is on the ground in Germany, taking part in the Munich Security Conference. Harris is expected to meet with fellow leaders, including Ukraine's president and Germany's chancellor, about the crisis. NBC News' Aaron McLaughlin joining us now from Kiev with more. Aaron, what's it look like in Kiev right now? Hey, Brian, well, all eyes on eastern Ukraine, where the violence continued in the Donbass region in the overnight hours with both the Russian-backed militants and the Ukrainian military blaming each other for the escalation. We heard from the Ukrainian defense minister this morning accuse the Russian-backed militants of focusing or targeting on civilian areas yesterday in Luhansk, according to the Ukrainian military, a kindergarten was shelled. The kindergartners were evacuated from the uh, kindergarten school, although three employees were injured. Now, we have yet to hear from the OSCE, the special monitoring uh, group that is focused on eastern Ukraine at the moment on that particular alleged attack. But they did release the numbers from yesterday showing a marked escalation in violence, 402 ceasefire violations in Luhansk and 189 in Donetsk. Meanwhile, here in Kyiv, it is a somber day. Today marks the eighth anniversary of the pro-European Maidan protests in which 100 protesters marked their li- uh, lost their lives. There is a string of events scheduled for today to commemorate those lives lost as people here in Kyiv are bracing uh, for what could happen next, Brian. Aaron, I got a couple of questions for you. First off, uh, twofold. Number one, how did the Ukrainians react to the latest comments from our secretary of state? But also you're there and we're hearing so much here that it's like this imminent war situation. But the Ukrainians seem like they're more sanguine about it. What's the sense on the ground? Is it panic? Do they think the West is overreacting? You know, I was speaking to a number of Ukrainians last night that listened to Secretary of State Blinken's remarks at the United Nations. They were listening uh, very carefully. They are very concerned about the situation. I was speaking to a former advisor of President Zelensky who responded, texting me saying, look, it's our land, our home. We stay, we fight, we have to. Plain and simple. You don't get a sense here, though, that people are panicking. People here are calm. They're going about their daily lives. But some are getting prepared. Some are sending. Uh, their families to the western portion of Ukraine. Some are evacuating, but the vast majority here are staying. And people I've been talking to say they're taking uh, these intelligence assessments extremely seriously. They're preparing for the worst, but they plan to stay here and to defend their country in the event of a Russian invasion, Brian. Aaron McLaughlin, live on the ground in Kiev, maybe the most important city in the world right now. Aaron, we're glad you're there. Thank you very much. Well, Ukraine, of course, just one leg really on the tripod of worries continuing to weigh on the stock and bond markets. The other two, of course, being the Federal Reserve and its balance sheet over here and red hot inflation over there. And while your next guest says inflation may be at highs, not seen since the Empire Strikes Back was the top movie and Captain and Tennille and Air Supply topped the charts, this time it may be different. Greg Hahn is the president and chief investment officer at Winthrop Capital Management. Greg, uh, welcome. One of the points that we have made is that if you're under 45 on Wall Street, 45, listen, is no, you know, is no, is no use, as they say. 
If you're under 45 running a hedge fund or you're an investment advisor or whatever it may be, you've never managed money in an inflationary environment. This whole thing may be completely new to you. And I think that was the point you were trying to make in your latest note. Yeah, and, and, and part of that is is this time it's different, but this it's also the same. And we are at the front end of this 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 increase in inflation. And the question is, is it is it really systemic? Is going is it going to last? But the last period of inflation through the 70s started with the excess spending of the 1960s. And it started out as as a slow period of, of rising inflation. And the Fed did just what it needed to, the next right thing to get it under control until it it finally built up till the mid 70s when we got CPI at 12%. And then it was the toothpaste was out of the tube, Brian, and it, and it, it just got excessive. So right now we think the Fed is just going to do the next right thing. And we're going to get this just it's the perception of it under control. But it's going to take five years to figure out if we've really got this. Five years. Five years. Oh, yeah. This five is, years. This is because there's two ways. Go ahead. Two ways to look at it, Greg. The 70s was a miserable year for the stock market. I mean, the net it was a net gain of zero. I mean, you made money if you traded, but from the beginning of the 70s to the end, you made zero dollars. On the other hand, in 1982 kicked off the, the biggest or one of the biggest bull markets in American history. How do we look at this? So this this we're under a new a new monetary regime, Brian. Back then, uh, the Fed was looking at money monetary aggregates to c- control the, the money supply and Fed funds. We we've gone through the targeting of Fed funds rate. We are now in a period where the Fed's using its balance sheet nine trillion dollars to to really manipulate the the uh, the the price of risk along the yield curve where, where interest rates are. So we've got we've got that that balance sheet is 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 a large part of the public debt right now. How much more of this can the Fed really take on? And it's really and they want to unwind this. So it's we don't have the backstop of of stimulus to basically um, uh, support asset values in the market today. That's so investors are exposed. They're more exposed today than they've been in really in 30 years. Well, many of those investors, by the way, Greg, are getting beaten like a rented mule. I mean, the, the stocks are down. You know, in fact, I've got stock stats coming up at the beginning of the five thirty half hour. There, are, I think, half the Nasdaq one hundred is in a technical bear market, down more than twenty percent. Two ways to look at that: they're on sale. You got to buy them. They're going to go back higher, or the selling has just started. I mean, how do we look at where the equity markets shape up right now? So this this is this is more normal for markets. We have not been living through norm, anything normal in the last two years. And you go back five years, Brian, when 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 Russia walked into Crimea five years ago, it was at the tail end of the Olympics. The Olympics had just ended. So it was and it was the markets never responded. There was just no response to it. Today, the markets now are are responding to geopolitical events. And, And by the way, Taiwan and China is still an issue. It's just our focus right now is over in in, in Russia and Ukraine, um, but this is going to be normal. And what we're seeing is is stocks get repriced from excess valuations that we've seen during because of all the stimulus that was put in the market. This is a normal thing for markets to reprice risk. Is it healthy? I mean, is it a oh, good yeah. thing? This is absolutely it's healthy, and this is why cash is actually an asset class. Is we've got stocks, bonds, and cash. Is if everybody's invested in equities and equities goes down, go down. There's no way to reprice to rebalance the portfolio. But as as equity values 
do reprice, but there's an opportunity to reallocate the portfolio and investors can actually, um, it, it, it will get repositioned and the opportunity to continue to move forward will, will, will be there. But it, it, that's why we use bonds and portfolios. That's why we use yeah. the asset class cash. Cash may cash has certainly looked like king uh, at the start of the year, Greg Hahn, and we'll see where that goes. But but right now, you got me sentimental. I'm going to fire up some air supply in (laughs) my Camaro and head out this weekend. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? The market does feel like it's all out of love. Okay, let's that's kind of how it feels with tech stocks. It's so lost without you, Greg. Don't make me start singing. All right, Greg Hahn of Winthrop Capital. Thank you very much. Those guys could sing. All right, we are just getting started when we come back. The world's biggest retailer bypassing inflation and supply chain concerns. What Walmart's latest numbers could say about retail and you, the consumer. Plus, regulators turning up the heat on Activision Blizzard, seeking more information on company leaders and misconduct. And our exclusive conversation with the CEO of Lamborghini Americas and how that super luxury automaker is steering past some of the other semiconductor shortages hitting the business. Look at that car. Oh, it's gorgeous. We're going to show you more pretty cars coming up. Dow Futures, they're higher, and we are just getting started and back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, good Friday morning and welcome or welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers, three of the key stock stories of the morning and call this the case. Of, well, hi, Silvana. <laughs> I think I just jumped the gun. I was going to do the I was I was going to do the three key stock stories of the day, but I'm going to do the key Silvana Hanau stories All right. of the day. How's that for a pivot? We call that a mistake on television. But guess what? I can ad lib. So, Silvana, what are some of the key corporate stories that are happening right now? All right, Brian, here they are. Well, the Senate is signing off on that short-term measure just hours before the shutdown deadline today. The bill now heads to the President Biden's desk. It will only keep the government running through March 11th. Lawmakers plan to use the three-week lifeline to pass a longer-term spending plan that would run through the end of November. Earlier this month, leaders announced an agreement on a framework for that plan, but they still have to hammer out the details. The U.S. has added e-commerce sites operated by Alibaba and Tencent Holdings to its latest notorious markets list. Trade officials accuse Alibaba's AliExpress and Tencent's WeChat 
e-commerce system on facilitating substantial trademark counterfeiting. Inclusion on the list is a blow to the reputation of companies, but does not have any direct penalties. Alibaba says it will continue working with government agencies to address concerns in intellectual property protection across its platforms. Tencent says it strongly disagreed with the decision and was committed to working collaboratively to resolve this matter. And Tesla has altered ads about the driving range of its Model 3 cars in South Korea after antitrust regulators there challenged the EV maker's claims. The vehicle's description on Tesla's website in that country now says the car is capable of traveling a maximum of 328 miles when fully charged. It had previously claimed more than that. Regulators say Tesla will be given the chance to respond to its claims. And Brian, analysts say the mileage change likely won't have a major impact on Tesla, which is the dominant EV leader in South Korea. I'm going to be a dork and tell you that I still read actual magazines, Silvana. I love my magazines. And flying out west, I was reading Car and Driver, great magazine. And they, they reviewed the Rivian electric truck, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful truck, is, fast, yeah. fun to drive. But they towed, they towed a 5,000-pound car with it. Their, their observed mileage was 108 miles per charge. If you're huh. towing something, 108 miles per charge ain't going to do it. No, not I mean, that's, at all. You're stopping every ah, two hour and a half. Yeah. For like 45 minutes. Exactly. That's the thing, too, with the charging. It takes, it, takes, it takes pretty long to charge. It's not, it's not like, you know, filling up well, your Well, they also noted because they had a trailer, they had to disconnect the trailer because it wouldn't make it into the charging station because of the configuration. So you had to disconnect the trailer to charge the truck every 103 miles because you're trying to tow a car. I don't know. We'll see how that plays we'll out. But, yeah. yes, I still read magazines. Car and driver, thank you. Savannah, we'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate okay. it. All right, it's nothing wrong with magazines. All right, on deck, your weekly top five insider buys, including a nearly $5 million stock buy from one big Wall Street name you will know. Who is it? Well, we call that a tease. It means you got to stick around to find out. Plus, your morning's big money movers. We already teased that one, including investors cutting the cord on one streaming player. And ugh, that stock is down 23% right now. Don't you go anywhere. Happy Friday. We're back right after this. Today's big number, 82%. That's the share of new car buyers that paid above the sticker price last month, according to data by Edmunds.com. That's up from just 2.8% last year. The average amount paid for a new car in January was $45,717. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers. Three of the key stock stories of the day, and call this the case of the bad, the the badder and the just plain ugly earnings aftermath. Here we go. Stock number one, Dropbox, dropping. Stock is down 7%, despite what appeared to be a fairly solid quarter. We topped 2 billion annual sales, adding another 1.2 billion to the stock buyback program, and investors wanted more, and that stock is down. By the way, Dropbox co founder and CEO Drew Houston will be on Tech Check today at 11 a.m. Tech Check that out. Stock number two is Shake Shack. The burger chain reporting a wider fourth quarter loss and is now forecasting first quarter revenue below estimates. Company saying the uh, you know pandemic kept customers away and led to some locations being temporarily closed. Also rising paper, rising food, and rising labor costs have squeezed margins. And talk about inflation. Shake Shack will jack up prices in March as well as raising third-party delivery costs. So you order a delivery, you're going to pay more for the burger, and you're going to pay more for the delivery, and maybe it won't even be warm. And stock number three is just a brutal chart. You may want to look away. Look away! It is Roku. It is down more than 23% right now. Sales absolutely whiffed, as did the outlook for this quarter. Roku did say, while it's been able to keep its streaming players in stock, the supply chain is putting pressure on the TV side of the market. That stock down almost 25% right now. Ouch. All right, so now from the bad to what I think is the downright beautiful. We're talking about Lamborghinis, the ultra-high-end cars. And during our time this week at the Tiger 21 conference, we had the chance to catch up with Lamborghini America CEO Andrea Baldi to talk about the state of the luxury automaker, including the one problem impacting seemingly everybody, and that is lack of semiconductor. The shortage of um, raw material or chips uh, in this case uh, is something that is affecting everybody somehow, but a little less when it comes to automobile Lamborghini because we are part of a big group uh, that is making millions of cars. And so when it comes to specific components like uh, microchips, obviously we have an advantage because we are the most profitable brand within Volkswagen Group, and so we are the one that gets all the chips that we need. You, you are the most profitable inside of EW? We are the most profitable inside Volkswagen Group of America. Well, when your car... Your in cars, per, in percentage, uh, of course. Well, your cars, <laughs> let's say, meet a certain luxury segment of the market. We'll, we'll put that bluntly. They, yes, they are not inexpensive, but they are value. They are, they are beautiful. How hot is your market right now? It's never been so hot. It's unprecedented. This is was, it. This is it. This is, this is still there. And uh, after January, you know, there, there was uh, a lot of uh, turmoil in the market uh, for several reasons. When you look at the economics, the macroeconomics, you will feel like maybe something is changing mm-hmm. or simply is not longer like last year. But if we look at the number of orders we have collected in January, it was as strong as it was last year, actually growing, and is uh, keeping the same trend that is unprecedented. No sign of a slowdown? For now, no. Not at least in the luxury, uh, in the super sport car business especially. And our big thanks to Andrea Baldi for taking the time to speak with us the entire interview, including more shots of what you want to see, which are those gorgeous cars behind us. 
should be up on CNBC.com. All right, still on deck. It is not just Putin. Other Russian billionaires in the crosshairs. Robert Frank will be here to lay out how the U.S. plans to hit Russia's wealthy where it hurts in their wallet. We'll be right back. Going out on a high note, futures are higher after what's been a tough week as the bids and the buyers disappear. The signals one big bank sees suggesting more pain may be on the way. Walmart flexing, navigating past both inflation and supply chain woes will break down whether other retailers are going to find the same success. And your weekly exclusive insider buying segment and the two big names with big buys. Think autos and aviation. It is Friday, February 18th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Oh, welcome or welcome back, and good Friday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to see you. Let's jump right back into the, your money because right now, stock futures, they are higher. In fact, higher across the board. A couple tenths of a percent for the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. A little green on your screen. All this coming off another down Thursday, though, and what's been a tough week. In fact, the S&P 500 has been down every Thursday this year. Go figure. Now, the Fed and Russia are getting most of the blame for weak stocks, but most of the smart money people in the street that I speak with say it's really something else. It's a big dry up in liquidity, meaning there simply aren't a lot of buyers out there. Bids for stocks are weak or gone altogether. And that dry up could cause big price spreads, big price swings as well. And it has been a rough few weeks for stocks. And I'm Sorry to do this to you on a Friday ahead of a long weekend. Remember, the markets are closed on Monday. Some good news, but check out some of these downright nasty market stats. Coming into this morning, 54 of the NASDAQ 100, so my math tells me that's 54%, are now in a technical bear market. They are down 20% or more from their recent highs, more than half. Eight of those stocks are down more than 50% from their recent highs. Names you know, like Moderna and DocuSign. And Kathy Wood's very popular ARC ETF is down 28% just this year. Now, all this pain is also causing or maybe being caused by some technical issues. And if you are a CNBC Pro subscriber, you learned this on Thursday. Bank of America's chief chart strategist says the S&P 500 is nearing the end of a technical head and shoulders pattern, which could, not will, but could signal a big drop ahead. Doesn't mean it will happen, but Stephen Suttmeyer is on the tape with a warning. Maybe another reason. There's your chart. Another reason to sign up for CNBC Pro. Because we have not looked at it in a while, why don't we check out gold? Yes, gold. Gold closing above 1900 an ounce for the first time since June 2nd. That market does apparently have buyers. Outside of gold, well, who else is making money recently? Well, certainly many commodities traders. So far this year, while many stocks have gone down, many commodities are going up. All of these are up more than 10% in 2022. Natural gas, oil, platinum, lumber, and coffee. Just another reminder, the markets are closed on Monday, so we could see some big position shifts heading in the long weekend. Oh, and by the way, by the way, there's $2.2 trillion in notional value of options expiring today. About $700 billion of that on the S&P 500. You got single stock options. 
This is one of the biggest options expiry days ever. So let's see. You got the massive options expiry over here. You got low liquidity and big spreads over there. Who knows what today will bring, but that's kind of a witch's brew for what could be a very wild and volatile day. All right, let's switch gears because also happening now, more proof you cannot stop the American shopper. Walmart sales coming in strong, particularly in food, as it continues to grab more market share from grocery stores. But with prices rising on pretty much everything, how much more can Walmart and other retail shoppers stamp? Let's bring in now Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, good to see you again. I'm looking at your latest note, and this, is, this could be a random but interesting stat. It's pretty telling, is that of the 90 companies in the restaurant and retail index that you have followed, 72 mentioned inflation and 82, about 90% mentioned supply issues. That is incredible. Yes, absolutely. Good morning, Brian. So, the, and the retailers are also warning us not to expect too much from them in the first quarter of this year. So, when we look at the estimated earnings growth rate for the fourth quarter, retailers are expected to see a robust 46% growth in earnings. But then this is expected to drop to the single digits to 2.1% into the first quarter of 2022, which is telling us that we might start seeing. Um, the first signs of consumer slowdown in the, in the first quarter. And it's not until the second half of the year that the spending is expected to pick up again into this double digits. And let's dive into Walmart's numbers in particular, because when the pandemic hit about a year in, everybody started, not everybody, not you, but some people said, well, we'll never go back to the stores. And whenever people start using words like never and always and forever, I tend to run in the other direction because Walmart's online sales only grew 1%, while in-store traffic rose 3%. My wife works at Consumer Products. I know this. When people go to the stores, they tend to buy things they did not intend to buy when they walked into the store, unlike maybe shopping online. Is that good news for Walmart and other retailers? Well, what really stood out yesterday during Walmart's earnings is the fact that mall traffic grew to 3.1%. And the um, membership related to Sam's Club, that membership income grew 9.1%. So this is telling us that they're already getting more market share on top of all that market share they gained over the past two years. And on top of that, you know, traditionally Walmart's grocery sales are strong, but this time around, also was apparel. So this is telling us that families that traditionally might be buying clothing for their kids at the department store might actually be feeling the pinch already from inflation and are starting to trade down and not only going to Walmart for staples, but also for the discretionary items. But is Walmart a good, I mean, we like to say it's a tell on retailers because it's the biggest, but I'm not so sure, Jerome, because Walmart is so big They've got the pricing power with the companies they buy from. They can keep their input costs a little lower, I think. Tell me if I'm wrong, because they're simply so big. They can bully around the meat companies and the toilet paper companies like Kimberly Clark in a way that other companies simply cannot. Are they a good read on inflation? They're a re good, really good read on the consumer behavior. Um, what is a good read on inflation, we're going to find out in the next coming weeks as more retailers report earnings. So retailers will be reporting earnings for the fourth quarter ending January. But what we really want is a glimpse of 
what's already happening in February. We want to know whether consumers are already trading down, if, if they're losing those customers, or if they're seeing um, shifts in consumer spending. Um, consumers have been telling us in the latest consumer um, uh, confidence report that they are not only very much concerned with inflation, but they're also very much concerned with the fluctuation in the stock market. So as a result, they're definitely more concerned about their future economic situation. This might make them hold back on spending, which is what their definitive data points already for the first half of the year. Pretty amazing. 82 out of 90 mentioning supply chain issues. By my math, Jerome, that's nearly all of them. Jerome Martis, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Do appreciate it. All right, coming up here on WEX, PwC's Alexis Crow is here on three of the biggest global risks right now, not named Russia. Plus, speaking of Russia, oligarchs in the crossfire, how America and the UK plan to hit some of Russia's wealthiest people and Vladimir Putin's inner circle, where it hurts the most. Robert Frank is here with that next. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The United States currently has sanctions on nearly 200 people with financial ties to one Vladimir Putin. But if Putin decides to invade Ukraine, the U.S. and U.K. plan to go after Russia's richest oligarchs for even more. Robert Frank joining us now with the story. Robert, good morning. What's going on? Good morning, Brian. Well, the U.S. and U.K. promising sanctions against Russian billionaires with close ties to Putin if there is an invasion. Now, no names or specifics have been released. The White House saying is that identified oligarchs in the Kremlin's inner circle who may be complicit in the government's decisions and are, quote, vulnerable because of their deep financial ties to the West. Now, oligarchs who are sanctioned would lose access to U.S. financial systems and to any assets under U.S. jurisdiction. Now, a bigger threat could come from the U.K. That has long been a favorite haven of oligarchs looking to protect their wealth. Russian billionaires have purchased more than $2 billion in U.K. real estate, along with soccer teams and newspapers. Now, the U.S. already, as you mentioned, has sanctions against 180 wealthy Russians. That was after Crimea in 2014. Metals billionaire Oleg Deripovska's wealth has fallen by nearly half since he was sanctioned at that time claiming he has, quote, become radioactive in the financial world. Now, the attention now is turning possibly to three Russians who have even more extensive ties to the West and to companies. The first is Roman Abramovich. He, of course, owns the Chelsea soccer team. He's worth about $14 billion. Then you have Alisher Usmanov. He was an early Facebook investor. He owns stakes in a number of media and tech firms. And then Leonid Mickelson, he is worth about $28 billion. He is involved in a number of art museums in London and New York. And Brian, if you talk to Abramovich and a lot of these guys, they reject the term oligarch. They say their fortunes come from honestly running companies and they have no financial ties or influence on the Kremlin. So we're going to have to see what this list looks like and what the reaction is. Right. Well, you got to ask him, how did they get those companies right at the fall of the Soviet Union? I saw that Vladimir Putin, thanks to Sam at uh, Tanker Trackers in Sweden, by the way, Vladimir Putin moved his yacht, the Graceful, from Hamburg, Germany last weekend to Kaliningrad, Russia. Some saw that as a sign he was afraid it might be seized, you know, by Western authorities, maybe as part of new sanctions. What could we actually do to these people besides, I don't know, taking their boats? 
Well, taking their boats would be a lot because they have the biggest boats. Uh, the, the, yeah. the biggest issue is b- <laughs> basically saying, saying, look, if you have any ties with an American bank uh, or your companies have any ties with another company that has ties to an American bank, we will cut you off. And so it is really access to the global financial system, which in some way always links back to U.S. financial institutions. And again, it's cutting off their access to capital through the U.S. banks and financial systems. That's what's really hurt the existing oligarchs under current sanctions. And that's what could hurt them going forward. And again, if they broaden the net, not just to those in the immediate Putin circle, but again, these secondary folks who have who are seen as sort of his bagmen who go out and invest in, in Western companies, that could really start to affect their, all of their finances. Yeah, overheard in a Hamburg shipyard. We're going to need a bigger tugboat. Robert Frank, <laughs> yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, Russia seems like the biggest risk to global financial stability right now, but it is not the only risk. There are many other things out there that you need to keep on your radar and that are probably not getting the attention they deserve. So let's give them some of that attention. Joining us now is Dr. Alexis Crow, global head of the geopolitical investing practice at PwC. Uh, Dr. Crow, great to have you back on. I mean, we're so focused on the pandemic in Russia, we forget there's other stuff. And you've got a great new report out on there, which is number one, I think, is what you call the financialization of economies, private credit markets, debt. How big of a threat is that? Thanks so much, Brian, for having me on. So certainly, I think when when many are debating the pullback of the punch bowl and the eventual QT, there are some risks that have been rippling beneath the surface even prior to the pandemic. And one of those has been this explosive growth of the private credit market. So really this confluence of different factors, the one you mentioned on financialization of our economy, the value of stocks and bonds as a percentage of GDP in the U.S. hitting 350 percent ever-rising, swelling number of market participants. And with investors, you know, really in the hunt for yield, frothy valuations in the housing market and equity valuations, you know, really coming into high-yield debt. And, and where we have some concern is around the murkiness of some of the opacity of the funds uh, managing this debt. Yeah, what could happen? I mean, we know that the, the world has absorbed all this debt. I mean, the, the sort of the shadow banking market is probably as big globally as the sort of the, the unshadow or the regular, quote, banking market. What's the sort of the, the, the staircase down on this, Alexis? Worst case scenario, how does that play out? Well, so certainly I think what, what you reference as well is just this eclipsing of, of global assets under management of the shadow banks or the non-bank financial institutions uh, vis-a-vis the banks since the great financial crisis. And that's certainly something that we've witnessed. Um, you know, some of the Fed governors, some of the central banking authorities across the globe have mentioned a lack of transparency and raised concern and red flags over potential liquidity mismatches. So what we could see in a rate rise environment in a potential earnings recession, et cetera, um, is a potential for redemption risk, you know, a run on the bank activity with some of these open ended funds. You know, we witnessed that in the first few weeks of of March of 2020 when the Fed stepped in and acted as a backstop and a buyer of the last resort to some of, you know, to some of to mitigate some of this action within the high yield fund. So some of the longer term shocks beyond that kind of bubble risk can also be related to 
propping up the zombie markets and the zombie economy. Um, you know, as much as one fifth of the eurozone corporate landscape can be zombie companies. You know, what we also see is a social risk attributed to you know central banks having to step in to address financial stability in the wake of excessive risk taking and diverting resources away from other potentially more productive parts of the real economy. That's certainly something that we see. Um, and some industry bodies have highlighted the potential for those resources um, to be diverted to more productive parts of the economy. I mean, we, we forget, Alexis, that the, we, you don't forget, but the Federal Reserve of the U.S. is running a balance sheet that is not quite but almost close to double the size of the annual U.S. budget, which is overseen by 535 elected officials. Dr. Alexis Crow, I want to get you back on again soon to talk about the energy transition and hopefully some bright spots. We do have to leave it there, but we welcome you back anytime, Alexis. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. All right, Dr. Alexis Crow on that. All right on deck, your weekly report on insider buying. Today's top five featuring one CEO spending more than twice his annual salary on an insider buy of his company's stock, the name ahead. And all this month, we are celebrating Black History Month and featuring some of our CNBC friends, colleagues, and contributors. Here is Rianca Dorsonville with her advice for future leaders. My advice to future leaders is to co-create a collaborative environment with your team. Be a leader, not just by title, but also by example. And specifically to the Black leaders, Continue to be yourself unapologetically. No one is you, and that is your power. It is time for one of our favorite segments of the week, your weekly insider buying exclusive segment. This is where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by C-suite level executives. These are not stock buybacks. These are people buying the stock with their own money. And the data, as always, comes with our thanks to Insider Score, Verity Platforms. And as always, we're counting you down five to one. So let's go. What are we waiting for? The fifth most insider buying this week, General Motors. Longtime board member Patty Russo bought $303,000 worth. That's a name and a blast of the past for many longtime CNBC viewers. Stock number four, CDW Group, an $800,000 buy by the CEO and CFO, by the way, the first ever buy for each. Stock's down 10% this year, so maybe buying on a little weakness. The third most insider buying this week, Boeing. Chairman Larry Kellner with a big $1.04 million buy. Picked up 5,000 shares at about 208 bucks each. The first buy at Boeing in nearly 10 years for Kellner. Now, we talk a lot about farming lately, so check this out. The second most insider buying this week is a company called Corteva. It is a crop and seed protection company. The CEO is stepping up with a big-time $2.5 million insider buy, which Verity notes this buy is more than two times his annual salary. How about that? But the most insider buying this week is a big buy from a big name, Newmark Group Chairman Howard Lutnick, obviously well-known to our viewers, the head of Cantor Fitzgerald. He bought $4.76 million of Newmark, which is a commercial real estate firm. Really interesting on a few levels. First, Lutnick is buying into strength. The stock has doubled in a year, and it is now higher than pre-pandemic levels. This is also Lutnick's first ever insider buy at Newmark, NMRK certainly. 
One to watch. There you go. The names, GM, CDW, Boeing, Cortiva, and Newmark Group. And a reminder, we do this almost every Friday, not next one, because I'll be off. But it is a segment that you will only see here on WEX or on CNBC Pro. So sign up today. All right, let's turn now back to the broader markets on this Opportunity Friday and bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor and somebody who's been kind of ringing the alarm bells, Greg, and you've been right on that. and We appreciate it. And if, I, if my notes and my, my souring eyes are correct, you think there could be more pain ahead for the equity market? I do. And look, to be honest, uh, the move we saw yesterday was largely probably driven by geopolitical factors and less fundamental factors. Although I do think what James Bullard said was contributive. And James Bullard indicated that the benchmark rate should be at 1%. That would imply a move that most consensus or most prognosticators are expecting for the whole year. It gives me greater comfort that they're going to raise by 50 bips in March. When they do that, it is obviously designed to decrease consumption, which adds to the top line challenges that the companies are already facing with Omicron, with consumer sentiment hitting mm-hmm. a 13 year low. Go ahead, Brian. Brian. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, we talk a lot about the Fed as it pertains to rate hikes and the balance sheet. But there's something else. And I think you touch on it. And, and, I, and I tweeted it out last night. And I want to reiterate this idea of liquidity, which is the amount of money in the market, sort of available for the, the world has been a wash in liquidity. Everybody I talk to, market makers, traders, hedge fund managers, they're starting to moan and groan about the lack of liquidity. In other words, there's no buyers or the buyers aren't willing to pay up. And I wonder, Greg, how much that aspect of this, maybe it's because the Fed, maybe it's not, is really one of the main reasons why the stock market has gone down this year. Just a dearth of buyers willing to pay. I think we're really just in the first innings of that, to be honest with you, Brian. There's going to be three sources of decreasing liquidity as we go forward. The first is the taper, which we know about. The second is rising interest rates, which is designed to tightening up borrowing standards. So there'll be less credit available to businesses as well as households. And the third, probably under discussed at this point, is the Fed reducing its balance sheet is also a means of draining liquidity out of the system. And we'll have all that at the same time that uh, corporate earnings growth is decelerating as those top line challenges and those bottom line challenges prove very difficult for for a lot of companies, for the broad sector of companies. Uh, We're starting to hear companies even talk about that very vocally on their earnings call. We're starting to see that in some of the earnings reports where we saw in the consumer packaged goods sector, for example, a number of misses on the bottom line. And so all of those things will come together and the market will start to digest all of this data, I believe, in the coming months. Yeah, and listen, Greg, you know, all these strategists, they're all our friends, by the way. I respect them very much. They've got, you know, 5,000 targets on the S&P 500. Now the S&P is down nearly 10%. That's a lot harder. You go down 10%, what, do you got to go up 125 or whatever percent to get back to where you were? Uh, I wonder if you could start seeing some of these Wall Street firms start ratcheting down their targets because... It's going to be a lot harder to make it if the market keeps going down in the near term. That's right. And you're right. They're all our friends. And I'll add myself in that crew. We are notoriously behind the curve when it comes to accurately predicting things like this. And so that's why we see a lot of these upper revisions and downward revisions start to accelerate when the trend becomes uh, quite evident, uh, but not necessarily before. Um, So I think that you're exactly right, Brian. We'll see that. 
uh, ringing the bell ahead of it and still ringing the warning bell. Greg Branch, we really appreciate it, my friend. Have a great Friday, a good long weekend. Thank you very much. Folks, before we go, I want you to think of it like this. There's a house for sale for $500,000. You've got 10 buyers all flush with cash. That house is going for more than five hundred. Well, right now in the stock market, you've got a house for sale for $500,000, but you maybe have three buyers, and one of them is cheap. And that lack of liquidity, lack of buyers, is really one of the main reasons we're seeing this weakness. I talked to a lot of people in the street, and they're just saying the bids simply aren't there. $2 trillion in options expiry today. Could be a wild one. I'm going to sit and watch CNBC all day long eating popcorn. Have a great long weekend. Markets closed on Monday. I'll see you on Tuesday. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.